exactly. So we have, uh, in total this morning, 10 folks that are going to be baptized. 10 folks who are saying today that they have uh, trusted Jesus as their Savior, and they want everyone to know. And so it's really exciting. And so I'm going to have, we've got three in this service, seven in the second. Um, and so I'm going to have those who are going to be baptized in this service um, to meet me up here on stage. Mike, you and Robin are coming too. Come up here in the light. They can't see if you stand back there. So this morning in this service, we have three folks that are going to be baptized. First is Ben Bookmiller, um, and then Rain Tyus, and then Mike Armistead. And so all three of them have said that they have trusted Jesus as their Savior, and they want to be baptized this morning. Now, I want to let you know why there are some other folks on the stage today. This is really cool, I think. We do something that some churches do, but not a lot of churches do this. We let the people who are being baptized choose the person that has had a significant spiritual influence on their, in their life to do the baptizing. We refer to those people in our church as disciple makers. And so this morning, not only do we have 10 folks that are being baptized, but we also have 10 different disciple makers who are going to be doing the baptisms. Some of them are parents, um, others are small group leaders, um, or I get the privilege of doing uh, Mike's this morning as his pastor, and so I'm just excited to do that. So we've got some staff members that are going to um, be baptizing this morning as well. But this is the most exciting thing that we do as a church because we are celebrating this morning new life in Jesus. And so I want to pray for these three, um, and then we're going to get get to work. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for the love and the grace that you've given to us. God, you open our eyes to our need of Jesus, and I'm so thankful for Ben and for Rain and Mike and what you have done in their lives, what you continue to do. Um, because God, when we enter into a relationship with you, you desire to change us. It's not just about what happens when we die, but it changes the way that we live. And so, Father, I pray for each of these three that you would strengthen their faith, they would, you would grow their faith and help them um, to just continue to follow after you and to live in a way that pleases and honors you in everything um, that they do to the best of their ability as the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives. God, we re just rejoice today. It's not about um, what these three are doing as much as it is what you have done for us when Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could live. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I got a story It's too good to hide I was a blind man Wondering Till I saw the light Yeah, I got a story I can't deny I'm a living, breathing miracle And I just gotta testify yeah. 
excited that you have chosen to um, worship with us this morning and be a part of our Easter services. I know we've got lots of new folks, and we really do consider it a privilege um, for new folks to be a part of our services on a regular basis. And I know we've got many friends and family members of those who are baptized that are here. Um, Maybe you came with a family member, um, and that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know why you're here, um, but you are here. Um, And so if you are new with us, I want you to know, like Kelly said earlier, we absolutely do want to connect with you. Um, Anything that we can do to help you, uh, we want to be able to do that. So on your way in this morning, you should have received a card that talks about some of the different things that uh, you can do to get connected, get to know people in our church and things like that. And that text number is actually on that card as well. And I want you to know that if you have any questions about the church um, or anything that you hear this morning, you can text that number. uh, Just you don't have to use a specific prompt. If you 
do the, if you send welcome, something will get sent back to you immediately, a little digital connection card. Um, but you can ask us any question and we'll get that and then we'll, we'll get back to you. Um, because here's our goal. Our goal is that for everyone who's a part of the table that your faith would come alive. And what we mean by that is that faith begins to make a difference in terms of how you live your life. I think that's, that's what God uh, desires for us. And so anything that we can do to help in that process, we want to do that. And so again, if you have questions about the church or questions about anything that we've done this morning or what you hear throughout the message this morning, um, feel free to text us and let us know. Um, we would just love to, to, to serve you in that way. Um, I'm going to jump into the message in just a second. I'll pray before we do that, but I want you to know the message this morning is a little bit different than normal for those of you that are here with us on a regular basis. Um, And so I'm not going to give you time to turn to specific scriptures that we're going to look at this morning, but if you are um, one of our folks who follows along on the live event on the YouVersion Bible app, you can probably navigate your way there um, at this time this morning and follow along because the scriptures are there and the notes are there, and so you'll know um, exactly where we're headed. So you can do that. But let me pray for us, um, and then we'll jump into the message. Father, as we think about the significance of this day, the, the empty tomb and the hope that we have because Jesus has risen from the dead, I pray that um, you would help us to understand the significance of uh, just how powerful that event is and what it means to us and the new life that you've provided to us. And so, Father, I do pray for each and every one of us over the next few minutes as we spend some time looking at your word. I pray that you would still our hearts, uh, help us to focus on you, and I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives, um, guiding us and, again, Father, just teaching us today. And so I pray that everything that I do and say would be done for your honor and glory, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the movie The Mockingjay Part 1, which is a part of the Hunger Games series, Katniss Everdeen was leading a revolution. The world that she lived in was a caste system that had been broken up into 12 districts, all governed by the capital. And for many years, the capital had been exploiting the districts, taking the resources from the districts for their own wealth and power And the reason that they did so, the reason that this system was in place, they said it was to maintain order. But all Katniss wanted was freedom. And so it was in that movie, The Mockingjay, that she sang a song known as The Hanging Tree. Listen to these words. Are you, are you? Coming to the tree where they strung up a man They say who murdered three Strange things did happen here No stranger would it be If we met at midnight in the hanging tree So that song tells the story of this tree that they used to hang criminals on in one of the districts. Really, they hung revolutionaries on that tree. But the song tells the story of a man who uh, tells his love to meet him at that tree at midnight. And so this place that was marked for death would be the place that they would meet in order to run from the oppression that they were under so that they could find freedom. Listen to the words of another verse in that song. Are you, are you coming to the tree where I told you to run? 
so we'd both be free. Strange things did happen here, no stranger would it be if we met at midnight in the hanging tree. Yeah, thanks, Miranda. As a tree, as a place that was marked for death, but it became a place of freedom. For all those who were watching that day, they stood in horror at the, event, the events that were unfolding in front of them. Most, if not all, not able to understand what they were watching, unable to comprehend the significance of what was taking place. Some had only heard about him. Others had seen him before. Maybe they'd heard him teach. Maybe even witnessed a miracle. Likely many very hopeful about what he would accomplish in his life. There were a select few that knew him well and were his followers. But as they stood there, none of them understood what was taking place on that hanging tree. That the place of death was a place that could secure freedom for all who believe. They didn't understand they should have. They should have known. Because this was a story that God had long been writing. A story of death that brings life. A story of those who were enslaved being set free. But maybe the reason that they didn't understand in that moment is because they didn't know the reality that they too were enslaved to sin and needed to be set free. But some 1,400 years prior to the death of Jesus, God had written a story into the nation of Israel that should have helped them to understand what was taking place that day on that hanging tree that we know as the cross. Because 1,400 years ago, there was this event that took place that should have helped them to understand that a lamb was slain to secure freedom. And maybe it was a story that helped them to understand. It's a story that helped them to understand later after the fact as they look back on the events. They began to recognize that the lamb was slain for their freedom. That the hanging tree, a place of death, was truly a place of life. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. 400 long years. Years. The Egyptians had used and abused them, exploiting uh, the, the Hebrew people, using them for their work, and then profiting off of them. And the people cried out to God, and all they got was silence. And they began to wonder what happened. Had God abandoned them? Why didn't God care about the situation that they were in? For those that remembered the promise that was first given to Abraham to make his people a great nation and to protect them, that promise was passed down generation after generation after generation. But now, 400 years later, the new generation began to wonder if that was some kind of a sick joke, just a lie that they had been told throughout their lives so that they wouldn't give up hope. But God knew their situation. And God had heard their prayers. 
And as God told Moses, he said, I have come down to rescue my people. And so God sent Moses, armed with some special ability so that when he showed up in Egypt, he would be viewed almost like a god. He sent him to Pharaoh with a simple message, let my people go. But it wasn't that simple. Pharaoh knew that he'd been profiting off the backs of the Hebrew people, and so he wasn't just going to let his workforce just leave. And so God sent plagues. And these plagues weren't just bad things that happened to soften Pharaoh up and let the Hebrew people go, but what they were really was assaults on the Egyptian way of life and their system of beliefs. The first plague was on the Nile River, their source of life and fruitfulness. It turned to blood. And then there were frogs. Gnats, flies, a plague on the livestock. Then it wasn't just something that happened around them, but it was something that happened to them. They all suffered painful boils. Then hail came and destroyed everything, followed by locusts. And then darkness, darkness being a symbol of death. And in spite of everything, Pharaoh still refused to let the people go. And so there was one more plague. It's the plague of death. Every firstborn son would die, all the way from Pharaoh's family at the top of the list, all the way down to the lowest servant who worked on the grindstone. No one would escape that suffering. But God made a way out. It's interesting in looking at the plagues, some of the plagues only affected the Egyptians. Other plagues also affected the Hebrews, but even then, God took care of his people. Though they weren't immune from the plague, they wouldn't suffer as a result of that. And God would watch over his people, take care of them, and they didn't have to do anything. But this plague of death, it too would affect the Hebrew people. Unless, as an act of faith, they obeyed God and offered a sacrifice. I want you to listen to these words from Exodus chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, and brush it on the, on the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning, when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, he will pass over your door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. The instructions that were given to the families is that they were to take a lamb that was spotless and without defect and offer it as a sacrifice. They were to eat the meat and then take some of the blood from that sacrifice and paint it on the door frames. And then when the death angel would come, it would see the blood and it would pass over them. So the father went out into the flock, pit in his stomach, looking for that one-year-old lamb, the one that was spotless and without defect. You know, it probably even had a name. 
He took the lamb, separated it from the flock, held it between his legs, knife in one hand, its head in the other. This wasn't something that he had never done before. He'd done this plenty of times, but on this day, his thoughts weren't centered on the utility of the act, but on what he hoped the act would accomplish. He wondered if this would be the last day of his life. He, too, was a firstborn son. Or if this would be the first day that he would truly live. But how did he know? How did he know that this was going to work? He took the hyssop plant and using it almost like a paintbrush, dipped it in the blood of the sacrifice and began to paint the doorframe of his house. And as he did, tears welled up in his eyes, hoping and praying that this would work, hoping that Moses was right, trusting that God was going to take care of them. When he was finished, he gathered his family. They went inside the house, closed the door behind them, and locked it. And the family huddled together, children in the arms of mom and dad, as they waited what was to come. I can't imagine what that night was like. No adult anywhere asleep at all. Their eyes darting toward any sound that happened in the darkness of the night. They were grieving what was getting ready to take place. And then just after midnight, off in a distance, they heard the first scream as a mom and dad found their son. Then there was another and another and another and another. And everyone knew the horrors of what had taken place. Quickly, the Hebrew family gathered just their few belongings and made their way outside, hoping that they would find that their neighbors had experienced the same things that they did, that death had passed over them too. And as they emerged, that's exactly what they found, that God had kept his promise. He took care of his people and death passed over them. And so the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they remembered that day every single year. For 1,400 years, every year, they celebrated how the death of the Lamb provided them life and freedom. Even Jesus, hours before his death, gathered with his disciples to remember the Lamb that was slain to secure their freedom. But then on that day, as the witnesses stood and watched, the one who had been called the Lamb of God, tortured to death, They didn't understand. They didn't understand that that hanging tree, that place of death, was actually a place of freedom. And maybe the reason that they didn't understand was because they had lost sight of the reality that they too were enslaved under the curse of sin and death and needed to be set free. The book of 1 Corinthians tells us that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So even today, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that don't understand what happened that day. To them, it seems like 
useless suffering and a horrible, torturous death. Not able to understand that the only way to be set free is by what took place on that hanging tree. The Apostle Paul writes in what we refer to as the book of Romans. Romans is a letter, actually, that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Rome. And he said in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn as a result of the fact that we are sinners is death. We are under a death sentence because of our sin. Paul was smart. I appreciate that about him. And he defined what it means to be a sinner so that we didn't have to guess as to what that means. And so, yes, to be a sinner means that we do bad things. That in spite of how good we are or how good we have tried to be, all of us have stolen a cookie out of the cookie jar and then lied about it to cover our tracks. But to be a sinner is not just that we do bad things. It's not just about what we do, it's truly about who we are. Paul wrote this in Romans as well. He said it goes back to what we read in the book of Genesis with Adam, the first man when he sinned in the Garden of Eden and ate the forbidden fruit, he acted in some way as a representative for us so that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. His sin was passed down to us so that we are sinners. And so we are sinners not just because we do bad things, but the bad things that we do, the lies that we tell, the uh, times that we lose our temper, the decisions that we make that are done for just our benefit and we never think about other people. The reason that those things come so natural to us is because we are sinners. And as a result of our sin, what we deserve is death. God had a plan. There was a way of escape. God always has a plan. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. It's because of what took place on that hanging tree that we can be set free, set free from our sin and given new life. It's not what we do. We could never earn it. We do not deserve it. But Jesus willingly and freely laid down his life for us so that we could be set free. He took our death. We receive his righteousness, which produces life. And all we have to do is believe. But how do we know? How do we know that what took place on that hanging tree does secure our freedom? How do we know that death produces life? We know because of what happened on Sunday. That first Easter morning, Scripture tells us that some of the ladies, early on the first day of the week, they made their way to the tomb, taking with them spices. They were going to anoint Jesus' body, which they hadn't had time to do before the burial. And when they got to be able to see the tomb in a distance, they recognized that the stone had been rolled away. And then as they got close, they looked inside the tomb and realized that the body was not there. And then this is what we read in Luke chapter 24, verses 4 through 8. While they were perplexed about this, 
Suddenly, two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And then they remembered his words. I love verse 8. Because as they stood there watching the crucifixion take place, they had no idea what was going on. But then as they made their way to the tomb and encountered these men, these angels, they said, hey, why are you here? Jesus told you all about this. Then they remembered his words. They remembered that he told them that, yes, he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, and that he would rise again from the dead. And so slowly but surely starting with the women who were there at the tomb and then spreading to all of the disciples, they came to understand, yes, that Jesus had risen again from the dead, that he was alive, but also they understood the significance of his death, that it was the death of Jesus that provides life, that it was what took place on that hanging tree that secured our freedom. So are you, are you running to the tree we would both go so that we would be free. Strange things happen. Stranger would they be if we just met at that hanging tree. It's simply a matter of faith in Jesus and what happened. That his death provides us with life. That that allows us to enter into a relationship with God that lasts forever. There is nothing that we could do to earn it. We do not work our way to God. We would never get there. And that's actually a good thing because everything has already been accomplished for us. And so it's trusting in Jesus that gives us eternal life. But I want you to know it's not just about what happens when we die. Sometimes we get stuck thinking that way because God wants to change the way that we live. And so it's what took place on the cross that changes everything. And so in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the pain that we face, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, listen, let me tell you, run to the tree. That's the place that secured our freedom. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus and what he accomplished for us, that his death provides us with life so that we could be set free. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step to trust Jesus as your Savior, maybe not really sure about what you believe, not sure about all this faith stuff, let me encourage you to look to the tree. Because it was there that the Lamb of God laid down his life for us so that death could pass over and we could be set free. And to enter into a relationship with God that should change everything about us and last forever, all you have to do is believe. Believe what took place on that hanging tree that we know as the cross of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Here in just a second, I'll I'll pray and then we'll have one more song and we'll conclude our service. But I want you to know, if, if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus... It is a matter of faith. It's a matter of belief. It doesn't mean that you have all of your questions answered. We never have all of our questions answered. It doesn't mean that all of your fears have to be alleviated. You can make this decision in the midst of your fear. Because all you have to do is trust. 
It's an act of faith that sometimes help we help solidify that decision in our life by praying, which is just a conversation with God. And so if you are here and you want to trust Jesus as your Savior this morning, I would just encourage you to tell God what's going on in your life, maybe praying something like this. God, I recognize the fact that I am a sinner under the curse of death. But I believe today because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that hanging tree, that I can be set free. My sins can be forgiven and I can enter into a relationship with you. And I may not even understand what that's all about. But God, I want you to change my life. And it's really that simple. And so if you're making that decision today to trust Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you to share that with somebody. Maybe it's with somebody that you came with this morning. Or if you want to, you can text me that number that's on that card and say, hey, Bill, I, I, mean, I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. I don't know what to do now, but I did that. I'd love to give you some next steps to be an encouragement to you. Heavenly Father,